I'm going to ask you, please, to turn in your Bibles. Just we're going to read a few verses in one part of the part of the Word of God, and then we'll go to Matthew seven. But first of all, if you turn to Proverbs eight, and why I want to read this to you is because life, really, for us, for all of us, life is is a learning process. Every single day is another day of opportunity to learn. And uh, for us in leadership, but it should be for all Christians, we want to learn more about God, to learn more about His ways. Because God is not a, a Methodist. God doesn't have methods. God has ways. We want to learn more about His Word, because His ways are in His Word, by and large. We want to learn more about His wonders and His works, and life every day, if we see that, every day is a, has the potential for us to learn more. And if we're not learning more, it's our own fault. I often start these times together, and I've had to do this in a pretty different way altogether because Normally, we'd leave it open for questions, and I'd say to guys, write questions down and give them to me, and I'll try and answer them. We can't do that with a group bigger than 10, 15. Um, you, you'd just be answering questions that are not relevant for most of the people. But, uh, and plus, we're, we're recording, which we don't normally do. Um, but we're having to do the best we can with what we're doing now, bigger group, and uh, we'll see where we go into the future if it, if it ever happens again. But God wants us every day to see, and I, I normally try to start these sessions by saying that most of the things that I'm sharing with people have come from four things. And I really think that if you have a look at these four things, and I, these, none of these are ever a formula. Please don't get to find a formula for anything. It's God's ways. And when God deals with one person, he deals this way. And when he deals with another person, he deals that way. You know, there's only one person in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, that Jesus told to sell everything and give it to the poor. Only one person. He dealt that way with that man because that was what that man needed. Now, that's become a formula, especially in the older days of my, my, my Christian walk. That was a formula. You want to get blessed? Give everything away. Own nothing. And so poverty was spirituality. And then, in the last 20, 30 years, prosperity Financial prosperity is spirituality. We make formulas of everything. And the church does the same. And God wants us to learn his ways. He has ways. And so I normally say to guys, a lot of what, most of what I'm sharing has come first of all, and this is the most important one, if there is a more, most important one, it's come from revelation, when the Spirit of God opens up things, shows you a truth, and you give Him time to enlarge and open up that thing for your life. 
Now, so often, and I'm coming to the second and third and fourth little things I want to say, but so often I find preachers preach to the church, not the revelations God's giving for the church, but God's dealings with them. And they preach, and we've all got to sit there, and we've all got to listen to your encounters with God as God's trying to sort out some problem in your life that you say God said to us. Now, I'm not saying you. You know what I'm trying to get at you. I'm not pointing fingers. But we need to get revelation for the role we're living in, the call of God. And so most of what I share, I got by revelation, waiting upon God. I love waiting upon God. Sometimes it's difficult. There are all sorts of demands, pressures, thoughts that are pounding, things that need to be done, people waiting to see you or whatever the case may be. You guys more so than me today. But we've still got to find time to get revelation. The Spirit of God teaching, opening up something for you related to the life of the church. And that's why the book of Acts is so. The, the Acts of the Holy Spirit are, is so important. We're going to look at a few of those chapters. I would love to be able to go through every chapter and pick out some of the points that I believe are the most important parts of church life that encapsulate chapter by chapter. And I've got a whole thing here in my Bible that I keep of every chapter, the things that I've highlighted that I've made notes of. And I normally give them out. And I haven't had a chance to do that, to get them printed off or whatever else. So I don't know if we can somewhere try and get them to you. But, but it's better that you look for yourself and, and get revelation. Like revelation, just the, I'm not going to get into this one, but Acts chapter 1, one of the most important things there was the words of Jesus quoted there, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's one of the keys of the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit really, genuinely, honestly involved in and through your life. I'm not talking about the theory of it. I'm talking about the, the living, experiential real, reality of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You see, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And building the church is a supernatural thing. You cannot build God's church naturally. And we'll come back to that. I'm hoping we can come back to some of the things I'm saying we come back to. They're all the intention of my heart. I hope we get there. No lies if we don't get there. I wasn't telling you a lie. So by revelation, spending time, giving God time to show you. And we'll look at a few of those chapters this morning in this first session, hopefully. Secondly, not only by revelation, where the Spirit of God teaches you but by observation, I've always tried to learn. 
seeing, looking at, watching what went wrong, what worked scripturally. And I believe that when you begin to approach the Word of God and life that way, I'm talking about every day is an opportunity to learn. When you begin to approach life like that and you begin to observe certain things, if you look to God, those observations become revelation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Just you can observe things. You watch the way these guys are saying and doing this and you see it doesn't work. There's a revelation that says, don't do that. And this does work and it's scriptural and it becomes a revelation. So there've been people in my life and situations in my life where I've observed and it's become revelation. And out of that, I'm able to share. And it's out of the abundance of the heart. And it's there, the heart is where the revelation takes place. It's not here. That's where the information, even if it's revelation, if it doesn't get here, it's information for you. And for me. You with me? And then thirdly, by reconciliation. I've always tried to reconcile truth with truth. I've tried to avoid taking a scripture and building a doctrine on that scripture. Because I could build a doctrine of theft that I am entitled to when you guys go and have your coffee pull for everything I want out of your bags. Everything. There's a scripture that says, all things are yours. <laughs> I can build a whole theology on that. Baptismal regeneration. A whole theology with tens of thousands of believers believe that as they go into the water or get sprinkled, they become ch children of God. And I could go through the list. I have it all. whole bunch of stuff that I normally cover that I can't cover here over these few days. So by revelation, by observation, by reconciliation, and I have another little one that I just, with the alliteration, but it really is, I'll remember the word in a moment, but it really is when I've blown it, so maybe I could use the word redemption, but I have a better word than that in my little, but I'll come up with it. But when I've blown it to learn from it and ask God to help me not to do that again, because when you start, you know, faith is spelt R-I-S-K in many senses. Faith has risk. And so when you dare to step out especially when you, there's, there's no one doing it that you know of you can go and speak to, there's a risk involved. And, it's, and you can blow it. But to learn from it, not keep on keeping on keeping on doing the same stupid thing over and over and over again. And I'm absolutely amazed at how many of God's 
precious leaders just don't seem to catch it. They just do it, mess up, repent, mess up again. The same thing over and over and over again. So those four things are so, so essential. So life is a learning process. And so we want to read, if you don't mind reading, just Proverbs chapter 8 from verse 34. Now, I don't know what translation you have, but it's talking about wisdom. I'm going to be using the New International here. But it's talking about wisdom. Now, Christ has made wisdom to us. But Christ, who is our wisdom, has also given us the Word of God. And that's the book of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is also called the book of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is the Holy Spirit speaking through a man, recording. And we've got it. And it says this, for whoever finds me finds life, wisdom. Whoever finds me finds life. And whoever finds me and finds life receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. Wake up. <laughs> All who hate me Love death. Wisdom. And then if you wouldn't mind, please, just turning to Matthew chapter 7. Well, now, I, you know what's in Matthew chapter 7. Just, just for the sake of time, would you, would you just go to John 15? Matthew 7, I will just quote the little part I want. The how much more shall your heavenly Father, if you then being evil, know how to give give good gifts or the Holy Spirit, how much more? If you know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts or the Holy Spirit? One, one of the uh, gospel writers writes, your heavenly Father. So you lack wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. Doesn't hold back on us. So ask God in the learning process of life, give me wisdom. I lack it. I have asked God for this time here, for four or five months, almost, I think I can say daily, but let me just make sure I'm not lying, almost every day, God give me wisdom to know what to share with these guys because I have so much that I feel is so important. And some of them have heard some of what I've said because you've been here before, but don't let me just because of that avoid what others need to hear. Give me wisdom. I lack wisdom, Father. I can never say I've been around for 50 years. I've got a lot of experience. That's gonna carry me. Thank God for experience but that's not enough. We need God. 
and God's wisdom and the impartation of it, and he gives it to us. So I'm hoping that stirs faith in your heart that from today, you will start asking not as a formula, but from the heart, God, I need wisdom. I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a, for anyone else listening, I, I, you know, I'm a leader in the church, I'm, I'm a business, whatever, whatever you, God, I know how to do stuff, but that's the formula. Teach me your ways, give me your wisdom, etc. I don't know why I'm fighting things that drop into my mind and I think now if I go down there it's going to take five minutes and I, we, let's, John 15 you know this so well and I, I talked a little bit about it yesterday but I want to just break a little more open to you in the 15th chapter in verse 1 it says Jesus says I'm the true vine and my father God the father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit He cuts it off. You know, some people, I'm coming back to them in a moment, but this just drops into my heart again. Some people say to me, if I plan a church and it isn't working, how long should we hang around? And I say, well, I, I don't know that the Bible gives a, any clear thing on it, but it gives some idea. One of the things that Jesus talks about, he comes and he sees this tree and there's no fruit on it. And the disciples say, let's chop this down. And some guy says, wait a minute, let's just give it some more time. It's been here three years, give it a bit more time. Let's fertilize it a bit more. And sometimes that's what's needed when we're not bearing fruit. There needs to be just a refertilization of the Word of God. And there needs to be, in order to get fertilized, the, the compost or whatever you're using, the fertilizer into the ground, and I'm not a farmer, and there are some farmers, yes, I'm being very careful of what I say here, but you've got you to break up that ground to get some of that compost down in there. And, and the scripture says, break up the fallow ground. Sow to yourself. And so sometimes we're not seeing fruit because we're too scared to break open the fallow ground of the hearts of men and women in our church. And so they just get used to this resistance in their own heart and the bouncing off all the time that they can sit there and be comfortable. One thing I know about Jesus and the early church is that you could not be comfortable with him. You either hated them or you loved them. And Jesus says that clearly throughout the scriptures. But people are sitting under the sound of the so-called gospel and they're comfortable with their sin. And I'm telling you, they're sitting in your church too. I don't know what percentage, hopefully none, but it's going to be at least 1%. And in some, as much as 99%. 
I hope you're not feeling bad. I'm hoping you're saying, whoa, wait a minute. That's become a revelation that I forgot. I used to know that. I used to believe that. I still know it's here, but it's no longer here. Reading on. Well, let me finish that little story. <laughs> After that, Jesus had cut it down. So I'm not saying three, three and a half, four years, but it gives us some idea. If you're sitting there 10, 15 years later and you've got nothing, and people's lives are not, not just a little occasional something happens, I'm talking about really lives changed. You've got to have another fresh look at this. Wait a minute. Now, there can be some countries that it's a little harder than others. To some degree, this country can be hard that we're living in right now. I don't ever want to say it is hard. By the grace of God, I've seen from the day I came here, I've seen some really amazing things of God just doing some things in this nation. But you're fighting a battle in this country that's different to the battles we were fighting when we were in South Africa. South Africa, whether you were a true believer or not, most people believed in the supernatural. Lots of the black tribes knew from the, I was going to use, try and use a Zulu word, but from witch doctors. They've seen some of the supernatural. The Afrikaners, they had what they called chotzdins. They, they had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. And so different countries have different approaches to problems. You hear what I'm trying to say? And I'm hoping me saying that about this country or South Africa, nobody gets offended. I'm trying to make the point. But no country's too hard. But some are a little harder. And of course, I want to say that because maybe the three or four years, is there's a little more needed in some countries. The demonic is so powerful. I was really interested to see when I first came to this country, just excuse these little things that drop into my mind and heart, but when I first came here, people would like say, well, you're from, well, first of all, when they heard there was a South African coming, they were saying like, why do we need a black African guy? We've got all these Aussies here. So when I came, I, I just didn't fit the picture. But then people began to let me know, man, you guys, you, you come from, there's a lot of demon stuff there. There's, we don't have that problem, yeah? And so I just started preaching, not even on demons, just preaching. People began to scream, roll on the floor, froth at the mouth. I remember my oldest son ran out of the church. He was so scared of it again. The demonic is here, man. I'm just getting sidetracked, I know, but no matter what the problem the devil's active, and some places might need a little more time. So, reading on. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, every branch fruitful, this is, this is amazing to me. This branch is bearing fruit, but he still prunes it. That means nobody gets away with it. Nobody. 
the unfruitful and the fruitful. So when God starts to cut some stuff, a little bit of pruning in our lives, some of us get, well, no, I'm not going to let that happen because that made me look like I was successful. And God says, well, in the eyes of men, but I don't look like men. I look at the heart and I know the reality of what's actually happening. So nobody is exempt. If you're not going through any pruning, you are in serious trouble. I don't even know if you're in the vine. Now, I don't know whether anybody's ever told you that. Do you know that, Dudley? That's true for you. I sure do. Man, God's forever pruning me. That little thing's got to go. Oh, that was a nice one. That little thing. I don't have a clue about pruning, but every now and then I've got a few fruit trees in my backyard. Cut this thing off. Throw it away. I sometimes think, I wonder what that must feel like. And then I think, no, I actually do. I don't talk to the trees because they don't listen to me. <clears throat> All right. Why does he do that? Why does he prune even the fruitful, those that are bearing fruit, so that it will be more, even more fruitful? Now, that's true for your life, but that's also true for your church. There's sometimes that God's got to cut stuff out of your church. Now, I don't want to, I hate to say this, but sometimes he's even got to cut people out of that church. And I don't know about you, I hope that this always is your heart, that if you ever lose people, it breaks your heart. When it no longer breaks your heart, it's problematic. There's something wrong with you. You need to let God deal with you again. But we've still got to, sometimes God's got to just remove people. And sometimes God's got to remove people who were the closest to you. Not, I'm not talking about husband and wife now. This gives me an excuse to bail out on my wife now. She's not good for me. God just wants me to be fruitful. Hallelujah. That's not what I'm saying. But not only people. God's got to prune some stuff that you've got so used to doing that the life of God's not in it anymore. And he's got to prune some of your theology. And I could go on. Anyway, you get, you get the picture. And if you're a leader and you're a true leader wanting to lead the best, you'll give God time to show you what else needs to be in that little pruning process for your life, your church, etc. You know, sometimes, sometimes he's even got to prune your eldership. And that creates havoc in the church generally. But when an elder, one elder, but loves the title, not the office and function, 
and he won't repent, he's got to prune it. I hope that encourages you, first of all, to believe for your leadership and also that if you do lose one, that you won't let that put you into a nosedive or a tailspin. And then reading on. He says in the third verse, you are already clean because of the, shout it out to me please. The word that I have spoken to you. Now that's, when, when, when God takes the Logos and speaks it, it becomes Rhema. And when God's Logos becomes Rhema, it cleanses. And when God's Logos becomes Rhema to the church while you're preaching, it does some cleaning out. And God says, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken. And you see that a man under the anointing of God or a woman under the anointing of God or a child under the anointing of God, when they speak under the anointing, it does something in the church. But when they speak not under the anointing, it doesn't do what the word of God's supposed to do. And you can walk around and quote, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You can, I'm the head and not the tail. You can do what you like. If it doesn't become rhema, you're still not the head. You can quote till the cows come home, if they ever come home. You hear what I'm trying to say? God wants, he take anybody, even that can't preach well, some of the churches that I know around the world that are the biggest, I could not sit under that man's ministry. They're such bad preachers. But God's word that becomes rhema, it just keeps growing. Fruitfulness. You are already clean because of the word. Reading on. No branch, oh, he says, sorry, verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. How many churches today are growing and they're not the Bible church, they're called church. But they're not the church that Jesus are built on some guy's charismatic gifting. His ability to speak so well. A music program. And a myriad of other things. With no abiding in Him. And so it's the fruit we see there is not the fruit that the Bible's talking about. He says, it, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Abide in me.
it's obvious to, 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 to live in my house, I've got to walk through the door and get in there, and that's Jesus. And, but there's stuff in my house. I can be there without being there. To abide in Christ is to have something that's alive. That's really alive. If you want the life of God in your church, then the church is going to have to abide in Him. And so it's our call under God. And can I use this word responsibility in the kind of broadest way, not legalistically. It's our responsibility to help the people that sit there Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday night or whatever you do, for them to see the truth of that where it becomes rhema. You say, Dudley, this is obvious. Well, if it's so obvious, how come so few are doing it? And then he goes on, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, to remain in Christ, there's got to be faith. To remain in Christ, there's got to be obedience. If I want to just ask you a question that I want you to answer just to your own heart, honestly, what emphasis do you put on obedience? Seriously. It's all grace. It's all, this, it's all been done for us. Somewhere the word obedience, I've even sometimes changed it and said just cooperate with him. I'll, I'll tell them, you don't like the word obedience. Well, just cooperate with him. don't like this word, well, we'll change it. But then God tells me, don't change your words. For they let them change because of your words. Now, if God's told me that, it's because it's in the Bible. Now, if it's in the Bible and, I, and he told me that, he's telling you that too, because it's in the Bible. It's not what he told you, he didn't tell me that. You don't have to pray about anything that God tells you to do. Lord, I see that I shouldn't lie. Does that include me? Unless I get a real answer from you, I'm going to keep lying. You tell me I shouldn't even think adulterous thoughts. Does that include me? Now, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to set aside 14 or 21 days of praying and fasting. You're wasting your time. I doubt whether God will say a thing to you. The only thing he might say is, just what have I said, man? Why do you think you're so special that I've got to give you a special revelation to do what my Bible tells you to do? I mean, I feel embarrassed even telling you this, really. I'm serious. I don't know if you can see I'm going a little red. I can feel it getting hot. <clears throat> Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, my words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by some of the words. 
a few of the words, most of the words. No, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word. This is to my Father's glory. I'm, you can ask whatever you like, etc. I'm just picking up in the eighth verse. This is taking too long. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So it would seem to me almost like God is saying, if there's no fruit, there's a question mark. The world's never going to know that you're my disciple if there's no fruit. Now, I wonder if that's true for a church. Because if that's true for me and it's true for Ronnie and it's true for each of you guys and you were the church, we were the church, a local church and we as a church are not bearing fruit and each one of us should be bearing fruit, is God confused? I hope you're getting the point I'm making. If your church is not bearing fruit, there's something wrong with the church. Now you say, is that forever growing tens of thousands per month? No, I'm not. But there has to be something. And there are other fruit, there's other areas of fruit that we'll look at in a, in a moment. But there has to be some peop people getting saved somewhere. Can't just keep on being transfer growth. Somewhere, someone has to get saved. Part of the fruit of the gospel that we find in the Bible, it talks those words, the fruit of the gospel. Part of the fruit of the gospel is more people getting saved. The gospel is the good news to transform people. So what happens if you're sitting there saying, well, Dudley, if I'm honest, we haven't seen anyone get saved in our church for the last three months. What do, I, what do I do now? Well, I'm hoping with the next few minutes I'll give you some solutions to that, not all, just the little I have that I understand. All right. It's all that goes on about obeying a hymn and, and obeying and abiding are basically simultaneous, almost the same word in a sense. But then he goes on, he says this in this, the, the uh, 16th verse, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I love that word there, and appointed. People say to me, Dudley, what's God's will for my life? And I say, I can't tell you everything. I can tell you this, though. Appointment has to do with ch chosen. That I can tell you this, God wants you to bear fruit. And it's fruit that lasts. Now, obviously, young Timothy was not an evangelist. Philip goes out, whatever he does, almost when he blows his nose, people get saved. He's got that evangelistic anointing on him. Timothy didn't have that. So Paul has to write and say, do the work of an evangelist. Don't lose this heart 
to see people come to Christ. <clears throat> Don't just settle down, well, this is it. I'm just a pastor. I can't win souls. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then, when you are bearing fruit, when you see then, find out when, and when is what went before it. Then, you will ask, the then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And by the way, this is my command, all of this, Find some expression through just love one another. Love each other. Now, let me take some of these notes and try and just, well, I'm going to sit down so I can see you. What is Christ's will for my life? One of those things for sure is that you bear fruit. There's not a person anywhere that that is not true for. Everyone. But we've got to, first of all, remain in him. In order to bear fruit, we've got to grow up. We become bigger and bigger, larger and larger, and we've got to grow outward. And that's true for a church. If a church will not reach out, it will not grow out. Now, I was very fortunate in God that so many people just came because they heard of what was happening through the, every little church I've ever been part of or pastored. But that doesn't exclude us because most people it doesn't happen. There's still God, give us strategies. Show us what's needed. Show us how we can reach the community. <clears throat> and I'll tell you what, folks, that God will never show you how to reach the community when you don't include the world. God is doing everything simultaneously. So that could be one of those adjustments that needs to take place in your heart and life. Do I still have a world vision? I was talking about praying for nations yesterday, and I, I left out a whole huge part, the whole of Europe. And unless you come from Europe, I wonder, I'm sure the Europe guys from Holland and, you know, I normally pray right down through Belgium, uh, Austria, Holland, Germany, get to Russia, all these different... Do you ever think of them? Well, that's such a first, so-called first world country. If I was in a third world country, I would get pretty offended by that. But that's how we look at it. Well, they've had the gospel for all these years. They're just as needy. I said about America. Are you with me? Leaving nothing out. No one. Anyway, let's move on. 
All right. So we've got to remain in him. When I was talking about we must grow up and grow out, just, just make a note of Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 and 10, and have a look at it for yourself somewhere along the line. But just right now, we must remain in him, verses 4 and 5. Ongoingly, no matter what comes our way, we hang in there. No matter what, that's abiding in him too. No matter what comes our way, it's not like, well, I'm out. It's getting too tough. How do you know when you're going through a bad thing, how do you know whom God, whom God might be trying to touch when they see you come through it? Hey, Dudley, how did you get through that? That could be the question that could come when you're going through a hard time and you remain in him. And suddenly, well, you know, well, I'll tell you how I came through that. I'm a born-again Christian, praise God. And I'm heaven-bound, hallelujah. You, you just turn people off, man. Just, have, you got enough to, have you got a little bit of time? I, I say that to people from time to time. Have you got a, little, a few minutes? Just sit down. I don't want to start on the wrong foot with you. I just want to tell you that this is a little bit about my life in just one minute. And then I found myself in this situation. I didn't know what to do, really. And I knew all sorts of tricks. And th- but somehow or the other, somebody came and stood by me and helped me through. Yeah, that's what I need too, Dudley. I say, yeah, but it's not another human being because they're going to let you down again. Somebody that needs to come and help you that most people have rejected. You're talking about God? Jesus. You want to know what God's like and how he can help you? Look at the life of Jesus. I, I try to tell them that. And I want to tell you, guy, or woman, to get Jesus' help, you just need to start by just simply saying to him, you know what, Lord, I need you. And then I tell them, for me, I didn't even know if he existed. I challenge you. Ask him. Just ask him. Tell him if you don't believe in him. God, Jesus, I don't even know, but I really believe. I know that you're a historical fact. Nobody can deny that. But that, that you're who you say you are. I don't know that I believe that, but I want to tell you this. If you are who you are, you say you are, I want that. I challenge you to do that. And over the years, people have come back and said, man, my life was changed. Now, that's not a formula. You've got to find it for yourself. But you hear what I, don't pound people with you're going to hell and you such a blessed guy. You know, hello. Just be, be human, man. Jesus, who do people say you are? And Jesus said, who, who do you think I am? Well, some say you this and some say you that. and so. Jesus just conversed with people in a natural way. I don't believe he walked on the, sea, on the seaside and said, there was a sower. And this sower sowed seed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. My father, you're watching this. 
Do you know what? That's so many preachers. You're deaf. I've got to scream at you. And the people are deaf. I've got to scream at them. And you wonder why some people are ducking and diving and saying, sure, I don't know if I could go back to that. Now, there are times you do get a bit excited and you raise your voice. All right, so you remind him. You've got to be willing to be pruned. That's personally, your ministry, the church you're leading, the pruning of programs, people, every area. Even the way we've always done things. Now, fruitfulness is one of the four proofs that the church ignores, that says, that Jesus says, proves you my disciple. There are four things that I see in the scriptures. You may have found some others. But he says in John 15, 8, with the much fruit, thereby proving you my disciples, that the world may know. Another one is obedience in John 8, 31. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. You are really my disciples. You are truly my disciples, if you hold to my teaching. In other words, what does that mean? Tell me, please. Hold to my teaching. It must be that if you do what I tell you to do, you embrace what I say. It's called a little word, that, and it's obedience. We used to sing the song when I first came to Christ. I used to sing, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Anyway. Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Command you, Jesus? That means I've got to obey. Command is not a suggestion. He says, that's right, exactly right. You're my friend if you do what I command you. Another, the third little proof is this found in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love, one for another. Love is one of the four proofs. Think about all the things you think. And the church tries to teach us. And the big teachers tell us. And you just don't see them here. And the fourth one is found in John 17 from verse 11 to 20. John 17, 11 to 20. But taking special note of verses 11 to 12 and 20 to 23. And this is just summed up. That they may know that we are one even as... That they may be one even as we are one so that the world may know. Father, just like you and I are one, I'm praying in John 17, that's what he's doing here, I'm praying that you'll help them to become just like us, one. And by that, the world will know. Those are the four proofs that I read of in the Bible, and I don't know of any other. You know, things that are important to me that are missing, like, do you know your Bible well? Can you speak well? Do you have a lot of signs, wonders, and miracles in your life? 
Does everybody love you? I mean, there's one preacher that I often watch on the TV from the United States of America. Just, I think he's a kind of a, almost a free Baptist type guy. And I look at this guy when he's preaching and I think to myself, there's nothing that can rattle this guy. But he's such an amazing teacher. And I won't tell you who it is because I don't want you to start running around and everybody tunes into this guy and you get the wrong thing. Just for me personally, it, it, every now and then I watch this guy. I just record it and if I have some time, switch it on. But nothing rattles the guy. He's just like serene. And I think, sometimes I think, man, God, I wish I was a little more like that, that I didn't get so carried away in the pulpit and, you know, didn't get flustered. But that's not one of the proofs. There's some important things, but they're not that God said these are the proofs. In actual fact, there are some people that don't know Christ and actually hate him that are more serene than most Christian leaders. Nothing rattles them. There's some that are healthier than most Christian leaders and they don't know Christ. All these things that so often the church has made us feel, if you don't have this, you're not really a Christian. Your, your faith is wrecked. So I've got to go on. All right, now, what fruit? Well, one is the fruit of the Spirit, that you bear fruit. What fruit? One is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 25. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. There must be some of that in our lives, and it should be increasing. We start off with some fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and then it starts to last. This is one of the things that worries me about so-called anointing sometimes, that people have these in, incredible so-called experiences in Christ, and it, that it doesn't last. And so they run from a church, wherever that thing's happening, whatever it is, and please don't bottle it down or lock it into one little thing. But they just run getting, man, it, it, eventually it's got to last. Are you there? I hope you, I don't know whether you're agreeing, disagreeing, or saying, I suppose I'm like that sometimes too, just deadpan. <laughs> Preacher's preaching his guts out. If I'm deadpan, it's normally because I don't know what they're saying. I just cannot hear. I've got this thing that goes in tinnitus or tinnitus, whatever you want. To, it just, <laughs> stuff's ringing in my ears there from some of the medication I take. <clears throat> anyway, I'm just being naughty now. The fruit of the Spirit. Second is the fruit of the gospel. Colossians 1. And that has to include evangelism, people coming to Christ. Matthew 13, 21, uh, 23, if you're making notes. Romans 7, 4 talks about the fruit of the gospel. The third one is the fruit of, in every, to bear fruit in every good work. Colossians 1.10, every good work. Jesus, you know, Jesus went about doing good everywhere. And there's fruit in that. 
And if the Spirit of God is living in us and Christ is having his own way and we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, we're walking in him, we'll want to get involved in good work. Because good works can't save you, don't stop doing good works. Fifthly, how many? Uh, fourthly. <laughs> it's this light again. Reproducing ourselves, effective, fruitful worshipers and workers. We're both. We're workers and we're worshipers. We're worshipers and we're workers. And in actual fact, I don't know how accurate that really is because even when I'm working for God, that's worship. I was driving down, coming here today, just saying, actually, Father, even though I didn't get much sleep last night, it is, I, I praise and worship you for the privilege I have of ministering to these men that they spent all that money to get here and I lose a few kind of re-preaching my messages and what I should have said and shouldn't, you know. Why did I move off that point so quickly? Why did I stick around on that point for so? Father, I worship you. This is what you call me to do, even when I mess up. Work. It's a fruit of, the, of, of life in God. It's bearing fruit. Just the work we do can be worship. I worship you, almighty God, there is none like you. Now I'm worshiping. Now he says, hey, you've been saying that now. How about just worshiping me this way? I want to bear fruit through you. You're abiding in me. And then fifthly, the fruit of righteousness. That reproducing ourselves is 2 Timothy 2.2 is one of the scriptures. I've quoted it yesterday, and most of you know it. Teaching faithful men to teach faithful men, etc. And then the fruit of righteousness. We find that in Psalm 92. I wish we could read these. We can't. You leaders. I'm trusting you'll look it up if you don't know them yourself. 90, Psalm 92, verse uh, 12. Proverbs 11, 30. Matthew 7, 16 to 20. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. 1 through to 3. Or you can just say 1, 2, and 3. Did I go too fast? Yeah. Psalm 92, verse 12, Proverbs 11, 30, Matthew 17, chapter 7, verse 16 to 20, Matthew 7, 16 to 20, and Psalm 1, verses 1 through to 3. Now, if we're not bearing fruit, if we're not fruitful, it may be because, one, we aren't abiding in Him, staying close to Him, cooperating with Him. Two, we're planting the wrong seed. What do you mean by that, Dudley? Well, I'm saying this carefully because I don't believe I have a handle, total handle on this. The Word of God is the seed. All right, you, you're with me on that. Jesus tells us that when he talks about the sower and the seed. So all of the Word of God is seed. But the thing about seed is that certain kinds of seed don't grow in certain kinds of ground. 
or certain kinds of climates. You can't plant cotton in certain places or sugarcane or whatever maize. There's certain places they won't grow. It's all seed. No seed's better than the other, but seed has to be planted in the right place. And sometimes you off on your seed and it's not what God wants planted there. So you keep on that seed. Keep sowing that same stuff. And it's not the seed that the church needs because that's not the ground not prepared for that seed. And you don't keep, you don't prepare this ground by sowing more. I'll just keep sowing until they get it. And when you just look two, three, four years later and they still haven't got it, wake up. Maybe this seed that I think so important isn't what God feels is so important for this fertile ground at this time and time, this part. Because that's why Paul says, I preach the whole counsel of God. That includes all seed eventually. Are you with me? So have a look at the seed you're sowing. Is it the right seed for the soil? Let me try and use this, a, a silly illustration of this. It, in, I don't know what it's like in South Africa anymore. I haven't been there for, as best as I can remember, I haven't been there for 10 or 12 or something years. Been there, haven't been back for a long But the South Africa I left, if you went into Soweto, the Soweto I knew, that I used to go and preach in, you went in there and you started sowing seed about how rich you can become, guys would grab it. Wow, but what happens is it wasn't the right seed for that soil at the time. And so the seed grabbed, messed up their lives. Now, that may not be true how, how South Africa is anymore. I'm talking years ago. And that can be true anywhere, in, even different seed in the same city. As long as it's the seed of the word of God and you've heard from God, this is what needs to be sown here right now. Does it make sense to you? I hope it does. Now, I know some of you are going to battle with that because you've got this favorite thing. And it was so meaningful for you that you feel everybody needs to get what you feel you got. There's things in my life that are so meaningful for me that I would love to spend an hour or two with you guys, but it's not the seed God wants sown. Thanks for the encouragement, bro. <clears throat> so we can be planting the wrong seed. And I'll touch this next point in that point, but I'll make it just a clear one. We're planting in the wrong place. 
as I said, some seed doesn't grow in certain places. Fourthly, we're not watering the seed with the whole Word of God. And the Word of God is called water as well as all the other things that it's called. It's a hammer and it's a fire. And it's all sorts of other stuff, but it's also water. And the more broader the water of the Word, the more chance it has to grow. And fifthly, well, I touched this somewhere else as well, but I've got it as another point, and I'm coming to the sixth one. Not fertilizing with the whole counsel of God. I've touched that early in one of those previous points. Number six is also not allowing him to prune or cut off those things in our personal life, in our leadership team, in our local church life, or what we have substituted for translocal church life. Hope those things sink into our hearts. 10.30, yeah? Right. Just touch this very quickly because I did it yesterday and I didn't finish this little part here. I was talking about the book of Acts being the acts of the Holy Spirit, the actions, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of the church into the nations of the world. And I said that, well, I don't know whether I actually said this, but in actual fact, the old, the, the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, the, the smaller part, the Ten Commandments, and was written on scrolls, the Pentateuch, the five first books. They're all the law. And we have condensed that law of the first five books of the Bible down to ten commandments. And the first five books of the, of the Bible were all there for the revelation of who God is and what God wants and how God feels about life, what he's done about the mess up, etc., etc. Every part of those first five books is important, but we just... Ten Commandments, and we're not under law, so it's just the Ten Commandments. But that's how the Old Covenant was. It was written on scrolls and written on tablets of stone. And the Word of God tells us through the book of Hebrews and elsewhere in the New Testament that God now doesn't use that. He's not writing on stone and on scrolls. He's writing on our hearts. So what does that mean? that he's taking all of this and he's now writing it. Somehow he's got this, some magic thing that he just, the whole of this thing is now written here. That means the whole of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit. The whole of the whole, really, one of the most essential factors for God's people to understand is that it, the whole of the old covenant the whole of the new covenant, I should say, is the Holy Spirit in me. That I don't need anybody to teach me. Because the anointing teaches me, 1 John tells us. 
Now, it's interesting to me that if God says it's God that works in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, the Philippians, if it's God who works in me, both to will, that's desire, and to do, how is it that so few leaders do the right thing? Has it ever thought ever crossed your mind? If it's all written in there, and I don't even, in actual fact, you guys don't even need Dudley to stand here. Because the anointing teaches you. You have no need for any man to teach you. Now that's just one part of the truth. Build on that and you'll never mix with another Christian. You don't need them. That's why so many churches are trying to have all five, the fivefold ministry, uh, Ephesians ministry in their church. So we don't need anybody else. God says it'll never be that. You don't need anybody to teach you, but you need teachers. Both truths. How do you reconcile that? I don't. I don't know how to. I just believe both. I don't need Darren. I don't, don't want to listen to him preaching on a Sunday. I don't need it. God says, you're in trouble, son. No, but God, I'm quoting my scriptures. He says, only one. Or maybe two verses. Quote some of the others. Well, help me to reconcile it. What do you mean? One of the. He says, I mean both. And one day, son, you'll understand. But I'm trying to use words now, and this is everything about every attribute of God as well. God is every attribute all the time at the same time. Every, he's not just gracious. He's also judge, a judge. Every attribute. And I don't know how to reconcile that. I really don't. But I believe it. Why do you believe it? Because he said it. And I'm, you know what? No, I better not say this because people will just get the wrong I get myself into trouble because I don't know who's going to listen to these tapes. Anyway, or these, this, whatever we re these recordings. Okay. I'm just going to read a few scriptures. I'll give you them all, but I won't read them all just because of time. The new covenant really is about the Holy Spirit in us. All right? Jeremiah 31, 33 says, But this is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their, their minds. And write it on their hearts. I'll put my law in their minds and I'll put and I'll write it on their hearts. Hebrews 10, 16 says, This is the covenant I will make with them. I will put my laws in their hearts. This is New Testament. This is not even the Old Testament quoting stuff about the new. This is the New Testament quoting. I will put my this is the covenant I make with them. I will put my laws in their heart and inscribe them on their minds. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 says, I will put my spirit within your, 
within you, you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, what are laws and statutes? They're the commands of God. And God says, I'm new covenant. It's not you have to do this. You will do this because. And if you don't want to do this, there's something wrong. Why? Because I'm walking along and I see this woman and she drops her clothes. And I think, whoa. And God says, the Spirit of God just said, he's in there. He just says, don't look again. Oh, wait a minute. Wait. I'll just have another quick one. I'm needing money and, I'm, and he's walking in front of me and money drops out of his pocket. And I think, sure, this is an answer to prayer. I've been asking God. And the Spirit of God, even when you think you've been, God, you see, that's the law. Inscribed, written in my heart, etc. Where the Spirit of God just don't do that. Pick it up and give it back. Oh God, I'm desperate. My family's going to starve. We could die if we don't have the... I could give you thousands of things you should be doing that the Spirit of God, literally thousands of things in life that, that you just, you know. The problem is when you get that little, don't do this or do this, and you just keep ignoring it, it gets easier to ignore. And that's when the Bible talks about hardness of heart. We've got to help our people that they don't live under law and legalism, but they live in obedience, which is cooperation, to respond to what God, the Holy Spirit, the new covenant is saying, walk in this, do this. I mean, I've had times when where I'm, literally I'm walking and I really feel like, stop and just say something to this person. I think I don't know them. And they look so angry. And I look at them, all those tats, and they, well, I mean, they, they look like gorillas. Look at me. If, I, if the guy gets me, he'll crush me. You just stop and say, hey, bro, bro good a minute. Why? Well, man, I don't know. I just walked past you, and I felt I needed to say something. He says, what, what, what do you want to say? And I, I, suddenly you just get what you want to say. Does this mean anything to you? You're having a hard time with your wife. What's it got to do with you? It's got nothing to do with me. I'm just trying to respond to what I've... I'm, can I be of any help? Yes, you can. No, you can't. Well, walk on. Yes, you can. I've got a minute. Have you had that? I'm sure that you might not have had just that, but you've had where you know, I need to do this. I know there's been times when I've got like... I have, I'm, I'm nowhere near that now, so I'm, this is not a poverty. But there have been times where I'm not knowing what to do, money-wise. You're thinking, like, we're finished. And you think, well, I've got this 20 bucks in my pocket. And the Holy Spirit, literally, you just feel, get up and go and give this to the, even while the guy's preaching. Go and give this to this guy. And you go and you give it, and then... You get a little letter or note back or somewhere, you don't know what that meant for me. Don't know what 
I was about, to, I was finished. I was going to commit suicide. I mean, seriously, the number of people that have said to me, you did something or said something when I was going to commit suicide. Well, this is 50 years. I wish this was an everyday occurrence. I don't want to make out like I'm the super giant. I'm not. There are days where I get nothing. But, but never, don't do this, but you know what I'm trying to say. You, you always get these promptings to walk in the right way. Because it's God that works in me both to will and to do. All I've got to do between the, the will and the, the do, God putting the, he puts the desire in our hearts. Isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't that amazing? God puts the desire, and then he gives the, the, the dynamite to do it. All, all he wants from you is, yes, Lord. Okay. That's all he's waiting for. Okay. The dynamite's there. The ability to do it. And you know, part of the anointing is the Holy Spirit's ability to get the job done. It's a major part. The Holy Spirit's ability to get the job done that's needed to be done in and through your life or in and through the life of the church. Philippians 2, it's God that works in you. Two, Philippians 2.13 Etc. Romans 5 5, God's love has been poured out, uh, in our, out into our hearts, shed abroad by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. All of these things are the. What's the law, Jesus? Tell us the law. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. You can love your neighbor because the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You can obey the law. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, you, are, you don't need a letter written. You are a living letter. That's what God wants us to be. Living letters. God's Bible to people. People who never read the Bible can't get a Bible, haven't got one and never will be able to get one. And so we could go on. And that's what the book of Acts is about. People just simply responding to the new covenant written on their hearts, which is the acts and actions and activities of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm hoping we can get back to this. We've got 10 minutes, so I'm going to give you these nine points. And I, and I do want to get back to this. I'm going to give them to you without comment, and you throw a stick at me or throw something at me if I die. If I, I, this is almost dark. This is, I'm challenging myself now. But do you remember I said this, that we need, in order to get New Testament results, we need to get back to New Testament patterns. I said this yesterday. Now, in order to return to New Testament pattern, we must have a whole Bible theology of church both locally and translocally. Now, the nine points are coming, but I'll repeat that. In order to return to New Testament patterns, we must have a whole, again, W-H, not H, 
WH, whole Bible theology of church both legal, locally and translocally. And this would include, require as a basic minimum, these nine things. It's message. What's the message of the Bible? Basically, it's the kingdom of God. Even when Adam and Eve fell, I'm going to give, crush the serpent. Number two, it's mandate. Not only it's message, it's mandate. What's the Bible mandate? You'll find it in the old, you'll find it in the new. Go into all the world. Go into all the world. Leave your house. Uh, Abraham, leave. And I'll leave it at that because I'm failed already. Don't want anybody throwing. It's mission. Make disciples. Message the kingdom of God. Mandate go into all the world. That's the mandate. It's absolutely essential. Anyway, man, mission. Make disciples. Fourthly, it's model. Apostolic prophetic. Old and new. Fifth, it's means. How do we do this? The means. Radical, new bread, breed, people, measuring everything against the Word of God. A radical, new breed, different prototype people, measuring everything against the Word of God. Message, the kingdom. Mandate, go into all the world. Mission, make disciples. Model, apostolic, prophetic. Means, radical, new breed. Comma, measuring everything by the word of God or against the word of God. Number six, it's modus operandi. How do we do this? It's modus operandi. Learning the ways of God. Organic, not organized. Learning the ways of God, organic, not organized. You're getting a cramp, some of you, even on the fingers this way and that way. It's meetings. Everywhere. Everywhere. Organic. With spirit life, Holy Spirit activity life. It's ministers. Everyone that's born again, equal. We're returning to New Testament pattern. It's motives, love, love. I nearly succeeded, but sipped up once or twice. 